coming back as a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and receive weekly grief guidance from me, monthly group grief support calls, and the first look at my upcoming books, online courses, and projects all related to grief, become a patron now at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Just $3 a month gets you access to everything there is to see on Patreon, plus connection to a beautiful group of grievers just like you. Unlock grief support now for $3 a month and support this show at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, I'm speaking with Kevin Ringstaff about the disenfranchised grief of pet loss and how to get in touch with your grief when a beloved pet dies. We'll be touching on why the loss of a pet is so very devastating, the guilt that often accompanies the decision to euthanize a pet, and how to navigate coming home to an empty house after a pet dies. If you have a pet now or have lost one in the past, this episode is for you. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed, normalized, and even embraced. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Kevin Ringstaff is a certified pet loss and bereavement counselor and registered pet chaplain, and he spends his days talking about grief, creating grief activities and products, and listening to the stories of loss from people all over the country. He founded his company Pet Cloud after the loss of his first cat, Henry Fats Rothschild, back in 2016, and has been learning and growing in the grief space ever since. Kevin's life is currently graced and occupied by three pets, his old English sheepdog, Sir William Broderick, a.k.a. Brody, his cat Ponce de Leon, a.k.a. Ponce, and a tarantula that he accidentally came into possession of, Lucy, short for Lucifer. Grief Growers, I am so delighted to introduce you to one of your fellow listeners, a reader of Permission to Grieve, who took some hilarious photos, and somebody who specializes in pet loss, Kevin Ringstaff. Kevin, welcome to the show. And if you could please start us off with your loss story. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, this was the first podcast about grief that I've ever listened to. And I've learned so much about grief and how to talk about grief. And like I've read many of the books and listened to the other podcasts from listening to you and all the other wonderful guests that you've had on. And so the story of my life. So I, I set upon my journey of grief back in 2014 when I lost my first cat, Henry Fats Rothschild. So back then, I didn't know anything at all about grief or how to deal with it. You know, I grew up in a family that never talked about these kinds of things. And my background was in tech, programming, back-end development, that kind of thing, <laughs> right? So my, my social skills were already lacking. Plus, you know, as a man growing up in the South, it was expected that, you know, you should stay strong and not show any kind of emotions. So I didn't really have an outlet for that kind of grief. So when I lost him, when I lost Henry, I did what I was programmed to do. 
I just took all that sadness, that grief, that guilt, that anger, and I pushed it way down and held on to it for a long time. Of course, as many of your listeners already know, that only works for so long. And sure enough, that grief manifested itself in other ways in my life. For me, it manifested in like anger, drugs, and alcohol that I used to mask and deal with all these feelings. You know, and I kept going on about this, you know, and for a couple of years until I found out about the Association of Pet Loss and Bereavement. After reading The Loss of a Pet by Dr. Wallace Seif, a lot, of th- a lot of things about grief started to become clear for me, how to handle it better. I went through their certification program and it changed the direction of my company to specifically talk about this type of loss. And then last year, for some reason, I decided to quit my job and then move my happy bud all the way across the country to San Francisco to build and grow this company out nationally to like become a resource for anyone going through the pet loss. It's such a, a wild story from the sense of, you know, as a man, I was trained to do this. And then there was always the backend developer uh, commentary too of, so the social skills weren't there. And then there's the societal training of, I was taught to push it down in a way. And it almost seems like this perfect storm of don't grieve. <laughs> it's like the two words coming to the front of my brain yeah. is just don't grieve. And, and you're absolutely right that that only works for so long. And I kind of want to dig into this because I know there's a lot of people listening who have lost pets and it's been absolutely devastating. And it's one of the the losses that the world refuses to acknowledge. The world is pretty much only satisfied if you lose a spouse, a child, or a blood relative. Um, and then anything else, especially the life of an animal, is seen as secondary or even tertiary to other losses as if uh, they are replaceable or you can get over it faster or they're not as important because they're not a human. But can you speak on why pet loss is as devastating as it is for people? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's a very disenfranchised loss. People look down on it. But it's if we when we think about it, that human animal bond that we form with the connection to our pets is so it's so important because our pets are there for us for like any kind of through all the kinds of problems that we have in our life, our pets are always there. They're always happy. They're always willing and able to come and comfort us. They give us touch. They're, they're just there for that kind of emotional connection. And it's, and it's something that not a lot of people have. So imagine that you, if you're living by yourself, your animals sometimes are the only connection, the only love, the only affection that you're ever going to get. And so when you lose that, it's a very visceral, raw loss. And since it's disenfranchised, it's not a loss that you can just readily talk about with other people. Yeah. And there's this sense of, hmm, if other people don't think this is important, then maybe I shouldn't either. And maybe I'm crazy. And there's this, uh, I think there's a story we tell in grief all the time of, oh, I think I'm going crazy, but somehow pet loss especially makes it seem more so. And there's these, these tropes or stereotypes even of the crazy cat lady or the cat dad or the crazy horse girl or uh, mostly anti-women, which I don't really know why, but <laughs> um, there, there's all these stereotypes of if you're too attached to your animals, something's wrong with you. Um, and and I just, I just don't agree with that. 
Yeah, well, I obviously agree with you too and not agreeing with that. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you speaking too to um, the notion that pets are constantly with us. They live in our homes and they have, I literally wrote down, comforting touch, emotional connection uh, with us because especially in this age and era of everything's moving online, we're all on social media, we're less connected than we've ever been in the past. Animals are kind of uh, for lack of better phrasing, like a grounding energy for us. They remind us that other living, breathing things exist. And in a in a world that seems to be climbing in loneliness, um, they are a thing that can help alleviate that. And there's a, there's a comfort, there's a routine, there's a stability there that's getting harder and harder to find other places. So it makes a lot of sense that the the loss of an animal would be devastating. Um, I'm curious about your cat, Henry Fats Rothschild, which is a very long name for a cat. So I'm wondering um, kind of the story of how he came into your life, who he was to you, and then like what the effects were of his loss on your life. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, I always like naming my animals fun names, but I called him Henry. He was this uh, this orange fluffball of a cat, and I, I didn't, at the time I didn't have a cat. I just had my dog Brody, my old English sheepdog, who is still breathing, you know, right below me. I don't know if you could hear him, <laughs> but so my my mom asked me to babysit her cat, and she she randomly found this kitten on the side of the road on her on her way up to visit me. She's like, "Hey, Kevin, just watch this cat too." And so I watched that cat along with hers for about four or five days. And when she came back from vacation, she's like, okay, well, do you want this cat? <laughs> because if not, I'm going to take it to the shelter. <laughs> so, so, so in a way, she kind of tricked me into you know, taking the cat. And I'm so glad that I did because you know, he's just such a, a part of my life. And still is in a way because I get to talk about him and get to relive those moments with them all the time. I wonder, um, <laughs> I love the story of my mom tricked me into, into owning a cat. Um, but what was it about him specifically that really formed that bond for you? I guess it was more uh, just that, that intimate because that, the, the intimate relationship that we have with our pets, when we think about it, they, we don't have that kind of relationship with any other person. Like, like even, even our children, because at a certain point, our our kids grow up and they and they become independent and they leave and we stop doing that kind of touch. Like we don't pick up our sixteen year old son and like hold them, and you know they don't climb into our laps like the way our cats do. And touch is one of those basic human needs that we all have. And when your cat jumps into your lap, you know no matter the kind of day that you had no matter what's going on in your life, it, it's a way, it's a calming effect. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm immediately thinking of um, one of my favorite articles online about grief and the loss of a cat specifically is called my cat's death broke my brain. And it's about this woman who I believe she was an alcoholic and got sober and she got this cat at the same time around the same time she got sober and this cat saw her through so much life and was the one kind of stable or consistent element 
of her life as she was navigating sobriety for the first time. And of course, there were major losses that followed that. And so when this cat died, it really marked more than the death of a cat, but almost like the end of an era. And I have this own similar relationship with my cat right now. And I look at him sometimes, he's eight years old, and I look at him and I'm like, I'm going to be sad when you die. Like I, I can see it coming. There's like a weird anticipatory thing for his death, even though there's nothing quote unquote wrong with him. Um, because he is the animal that saw me through the death of my mother. And so there's these these moments yeah. in our lives that pets are party to. I mean, even people that do like engagement photos with their dogs or birth announcements or weddings or um, these big milestones that we survive. It's like pets are alongside that. And it's like, there's these little living, breathing memory boxes that, that hold space for whatever we're going through. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Oh, my cat. His name is Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody thinks he's a girl when they hear his name. And I'm like, no, no, it's based on that movie, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service that I used to watch as I a kid. I do too. I'm so glad you know what it is. Um, and there was the boy cat, Gigi, who always got in trouble. And my favorite scene was when uh, he got stuck in a tree with a bunch of crows. And <laughs> it was just one of my favorite movies to watch as a kid. And so as soon as I found out I was going to get a cat that was all black, I was like, oh, that's definitely going to be his name. Um, mm -hmm. I want to... Um, switch gears into this, this realm of unconditional love, I think is the direction I want to head next. And there's so much backlash stigma. I'm not entirely sure the correct word to use around the loss of a pet, because there's a story that society tells that they don't have the same intelligence as humans, the emotional capacity, they're not biologically related to us. Um, and time and time again, the thing I hear back from pet owners, those that work at shelters, those that work at animal hospice, is that pets are a source of unconditional love. And for many of us humans on two legs, um, we never receive that from the other people in our lives. And so animals are our outlet for that. And so I'm wondering if you can speak more on the loss of unconditional love when a pet dies. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true that all the other love that we have in our life is conditional. It's conditional on the things that we do and, or not do. And it's, it's based on judgment too. Like our pets don't judge us. Ah, like yeah. my dog doesn't look at me in the morning and be like, oh, you're wearing that out to work today. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if they did though sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would probably be helpful to me, but <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they like it's unconditional in the fact that there's nothing that we can say or do that's going to break that they're gonna change their opinion of us. And you know, it's 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 interesting to to think about it uh in that in that way because dogs in particular are very intuitive they pick up on if you're happy or sad and i've and i have a story about that too and the first time that i really realized this with a dog was you know there's just one time you know after my birthday and i was you know the day the day after you're kind of hung over and you're sick and whatever and uh, there was a dog in my life named jinx and that dog knew that I was feeling bad. And she just came up and just sat down and just laid down beside me. 
And that's the only thing that I needed. And that dog intuitively knew it and intuitively knew how to be there and to support me. Yeah. And it's something in, in grief, especially that I think we crave is that mm -hmm. the quiet, non-judgmental, unconditional loving presence. And we're so, I mean, we've talked about it on previous episodes of coming back is that we're so almost desperate to get that kind of attention from other people of, I wish people would just listen. I wish people would just sit with me. I wish people would just show up um, and not feel a need to fix, cure, mm -hmm. comfort, make better. That's not necessarily other people's jobs and we don't want them to be in the aftermath of loss. And so the presence of pets is like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for and, and didn't even really know it. Um, or you did know it, and but didn't recognize that an animal might be the source of that. Um, I think that's really beautiful. And animals do know something that we don't know, which I think, uh, speaking in an intuitive sense, I really love that you use that word. Um, and I think it's really significant that animals are some of the biggest entry points into hospitals into communities after a natural disaster or even after um, a traumatic event like a school shooting um, or even with those who maybe speaking back to to your language who aren't as socially adept it's like if we release a dog into the room or release a cat into the room all of a sudden everybody has something to talk about and uh, contribute and the focus is off of or away from what's wrong, quote unquote, what's wrong uh, with the situation. Or, you know, when people, <laughs> when people feel like they can release their emotions to a dog, they're like, oh, I can speak freely here without, without being judged or without being um, unseen. Yeah. Disregarded. So I, I really, really love that, that story for you. Yeah. I always feel really special when I'm in a party and like the dog chooses me. I'm like, I'm so special. This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. It rarely happens and it's not because I'm a, I'm a person that dissuades dogs, but I move around so much and talk to so many people that like, usually people don't follow me, but there's those jokes and those memes online of, if you're looking for me at a party, I'm the one in the corner with the dog. Um, so I always, I always love to find that person at the party and go, go smush on the dog for a little bit. Um, I actually want to share uh, the, the loss of a dog in terms of a community. There's a beautiful, beautiful uh, Instagram here in Chicago called Sporty the Dog. And um, Sporty was a golden retriever who lived for a long time. I don't remember how old he was when he died, but he died pretty recently within the past four months or so. And he was this sweet golden retriever who would carry his own leash when he walked. And so his owner would would put it in his mouth and he would essentially walk himself around Chicago. His owner would be walking behind him, um, but he'd walk himself all around Chicago and he'd create these little videos. And it was so popular that other people in all over the world were training their dogs to walk themselves on leashes and take cute videos and stuff. And I ran into him once in downtown Chicago and I felt like it was one of the most special things in the whole world. Like I was just running into joy when I met him, I was like, you're so famous. I've shared you with all my friends. I am so excited to finally meet you. Um, and then he died a little while later. And there there has been a, a community grief, a global grief for the loss of a pet. And, and I feel like that happens sometimes too. There was um, even like the death of Grumpy Cat was a public and a, a community global grief. Um, 
what happens then? What's going on with all of us that we we mourn pets publicly, or maybe we mourn some pets publicly and other pets get swept under the rug, so to speak? Yeah, I'm not really I'm not really sure why we would do that all in a in a public setting like that. Um, but like when be, because like we're not you know we in in some cases like grumpy cat i remember reading about that i've never met grumpy cat but like at the same time like i still felt that loss with that family with them you know i was reading those articles and i even posted on their instagram i believe about it saying i was sorry for their loss but just like when when we see that and when we see someone else going through loss it it, it invokes a sense of empathy in us because we know those pet lovers Pet lovers know that know the pain of losing a lot, uh, losing a pet, and they can feel for that family. I think you're absolutely right in that we we put ourselves into other people's shoes, but then also, um, hmm, one of the things I love the most about pets is this this blanket of innocence around mm. them, and I wonder if you can speak to this too, because with humans when they die, it's almost like there's undelivered communication in the sense that, mm-hmm. oh, we weren't done. We still need to forgive them for stuff. We're still angry at them for something. We're still, um, yeah. like we have things to say related to things we did or didn't do. And with pets, there's almost like this innocence thing of like, you know, they may bite us every once in a while, but it's not something that they do without cause or without reason. So there's, mm-hmm. there's, um, Hmm. I'm not entirely sure what I'm getting at, but I think you kind of know a what lot I mean. Of that, that yeah, with it. Like when 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 you lose your pet, you're not thinking about oh, you chewed up my speakers a while ago. I'm still mad about that. I'm still mad about you peeing on my bed. No, I just it it puts things into perspective in a way that we're like we're not we're not mad about all this trivial stuff. We're just sorrowful for our loss. Yeah. Do you think the grief is bigger when that happens? If there's nothing to, um, if there's a baggage free relationship, like the baggage of a pet, do you think grief becomes bigger then? Or is it just, yeah, I do. It's, it's, um, I'm not comparing the two, but it's similar to the the loss of a a young child because it's it's Mm. at that same level of innocence. That's before they can do really anything to create this baggage, to create this distance and independence. They're absolutely dependent on you for everything. And when, when you lose your pet, you can, you just lose that, the, the innocence that they had. And that's, that makes it more traumatic for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I actually appreciate this. I know you said it's not a comparison, but the similarity to the loss of a small child in terms of um, the temperament, the innocence, the lack of baggage. There's almost this like sweetness yeah. that that is present with the loss of a pet. Um, yeah. They're absolutely reliant on you for everything. And when, when you lose them, you can feel like you've failed. And there's a whole lot of guilt associated with that too. Especially because that sometimes we have to make that decision to put our animals down, to release them from pain. 
And we don't have to, we, we can't do that with other humans or there's, there's no, there's no, there's no other kind of loss where we have to choose when that loss is going to happen. Mm. Or like we're the sole decider. Cause I know, um, uh, sometimes it's even with clients that I work with, there's people who are medically responsible for their loved ones and they make the decision to, to take them off life support, but still there's, um, there's an independence there at least prior to being put on some kind of life support and so you you know their wishes you know what they would want you would know if they want to stay or go at least in optimal circumstances but with animals it's like you you are the god of their world and so to be the person who determines when they live and when they die yeah there's a lot of guilt there can you say more on where where that guilt comes from and or how it shows up in people who are grieving pets like what does that look like well, there's all there's a bunch of different types of guilt, but specifically for like euthanasia, people have guilt over, oh, I did this too soon, or I waited too long to do it, and they suffered needlessly. And there's an, an, an there's an incredible amount of guilt around that because too soon people feel like they've killed their pet. They they feel like it's it's like an like an act of murder in some cases. But like too long, they feel guilt that they just, they were unable to make that decision because of unable to accept their loss or their grief coming in, coming into it. And so they, and so their animals suffered needlessly. But there's other kinds of guilt too, for instance, uh, when say you were to run over your pet or an accident happened like that, something that you were actually at fault for people can carry that guilt with them for years for years and years and it's not something that you can really talk to other people about so where do you go like when you have guilt over the death of an animal like i know um there are resources like yours in the world and you found solace I think I wrote this down, Association of Pet Loss and Bereavement. Um, but if people are feeling guilt over the loss of a pet, where should they start? So I have, uh, I do uh, video chat rooms. So uh, sort of like Zoom. So any person anywhere can come on if they need support. And I do groups every, every Sunday. Every Sunday, anybody can come on and just talk about and just get this kind of grief off their chest. Because like when you're in that kind of group and there's smaller groups, probably eight people or so, and just seeing other people who are going through this kind of thing really puts it into perspective for you that you're not alone going through this. And it, and it really helps a lot of people. But there are other groups too, um, depending on where you are, a lot of a, a lot of uh, pet shelters and uh, adoption centers will have pet loss support groups in person. They'll generally meet once a month or so, and there are you can you can you can search around for them. But on the APLB.org, there's a, a inventory of all the a lot of the support groups and resources that are available. That's actually really helpful because I think a lot of people perceive pet loss as just another loss that gets suffered in silence. Mm -hmm. um, and to know that there are groups out there that actually meet to talk about the loss of a pet, especially the guilt over loss of a pet, which can provoke some mind circling 
or um, heavy rumination or even to the point of um, preventing you from living your life of like, I can't trust myself anymore because I made a decision that killed my pet. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of weight to carry around that a lot of the world, a lot of society does not acknowledge. Um, I want to shift gears again and, and speak on hmm, the societal perception that like pets are the preparation for other major losses or parents, caregivers, adults in children's lives, getting pets with the intention of the death of the dog will teach kids how to cope with the death of grandma. You know, um, this, this notion that when we learn from pet loss, we also learn about human loss too. And I, I wonder if you have a perspective on that good, bad, neutral. Oh, sure. Whatever. There, there, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of my clients are, uh, young adults who have their first pet. You get your first pet as an adult in your twenties and, you know, it dies sometime in your thirties, maybe forties, early forties. And for a lot of people, that is the first time that they've ever experienced any kind of loss. Mm. And like, in, in a way, like I, I wouldn't use those exact words, but I mean, it, it, it does prepare you for how to deal with loss going forward, you know, as any loss does. And, and when you're younger, like when, if you have a, if, you know, you know, as a child, and you and you go and you're going through that loss of a pet. It's up to your parents to teach you how to grieve. Is like we like we learn from watching our parents grieve, and so if our parents are the kind of people who aren't going to show us how, like if they're going to just internalize and hold on to that grief and not cry in front of their children, well then their children also aren't going to grieve. And so in that case, it wouldn't be a teaching or preparation tool, other than hey, you should not be sad or, Hey, you should just go out and replace it. That kind of thing. Yeah. And well, and one of the very first, um, videos that I ever did when I started doing grief work about three or four years ago was called stop telling your kids not to fall in love. And it was based on a conversation I had with a friend where they said, Oh, we weren't allowed to have pets growing up because my parents told us we would be sad when it died. And I'm like, that's a terrible reason not to get a pet because essentially what they're teaching their kids is we're going to prevent grief by preventing loss in the first place. But then, you know, as my friend got older, they were realizing some losses you can't prevent. And so they were wholly unprepared to deal with grief. And so to have that be an excuse of here's why we can't get a pet as opposed to a practical reason, like I don't want to pick up poop is a practical reason why you wouldn't want to get a pet. Um, It was this excuse of, you know, I don't want you to fall in love with something that's going to die, which is such a, um, a warped way of seeing the world because I don't know. In, In my mind, I was like, Oh my gosh, you're teaching your kid to keep itself distant from, everything so it never feels the pain of loss but then you never experience the joy of love either you you kind of miss out on both ends of the spectrum you can't have one without the other and so there are a ton of lessons in mm-hmm. the loss of a pet and of course it's not the point of getting a pet is to learn all these lessons about grief and loss but um i think it's something that people should think about so do you think that when people are are going to a shelter or an adoption center or a breeder or a pet store, wherever they're getting their pets from, should people with their kids or with their families or with their spouses or whoever they're getting these pets with and for, should they also have death on their mind? 
Uh, no, like I don't think I don't think you should go into a new relationship thinking about how it's going to end because then you're not going to really enjoy that relationship. This this idea that uh, grief as a training tool, like or like we shouldn't we sh- that that we shouldn't experience grief. I don't know, like like grief is a part of our life. I mean, it's a part of living, and it's. There's a, there's a good quote that I heard recently about that, and I forget who said it, but it it's grief is grief is love's receipt, and mm. to have grief is also to have had love in your life, and to prevent grief is also to prevent love. They go to they go together. Yeah, and so to to enter into something new. Hmm thinking about the end um you know maybe maybe wise but if the end outweighs the beginning maybe not not the time maybe not right now um and i think this is an interesting test of how people enter into human relationships after loss too like if you enter into new relationships thinking about when you're going to lose that person or when they're going to walk away, um, it's like you're immediately entering in with anxiety, uh, over-attachment and or even like a codependency kind of thing going on of like, I'm already afraid of your death. And that can result in either distancing of you're going to leave me one day, so I'm not going to get close to you. Um or conversely, like a like an overattachment, like a really stuckness. You're going to come with me everywhere because you're going to die one day. Um, and those, I mean, I'm kind of butchering the different attachment styles that people learn in psychology. But but yeah, I, I think you're correct. I have some some part of me wants to say, well, yeah, we should be thinking about death when we go into adopt pets because I think people get them sometimes thinking that they're never going to have to deal with death and then they're unprepared when the sickness or a terminal illness or death of a pet arrives. Um, but then conversely, I absolutely agree with you. Like, why would we enter into something thinking of it, the inevitable demise, you know, that's coming at the end. It, it kind of robs the beginning of its joy. Yeah. It's just focusing on the future instead of living in the present. Mm. So you're, you're, you're too busy thinking about what's happen- going to happen that you don't really enjoy what's happening. Yeah, and I think a, a, a neat way to deal with that is to focus on the losses that are happening right now, which is a weird uh, reframing of mm. thinking about grief in the future. So if you know, I go into a shelter and adopt a dog, it's like, yeah, I know you're going to die in the future, but what am I losing today? I'm losing a quiet household. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing loneliness. I'm uh-huh. losing... Um, I'm losing not having a routine because now I'm going to have to have a routine Mm -hmm. with a dog in the house. And it's, and those aren't necessarily positive or negative losses, but they're just losses that are happening as a result of a new, uh, a new commitment, a new adventure. And to know that grief and loss is coming, death is coming in the future, but to acknowledge the smaller losses that are happening today alongside the joy might be um, the the phrase that's coming to me right now is a better marriage Mm -hmm. of the two. Yeah, I, I like. I've never thought about it that way. I, I like the way you said that. <laughs> I, 
I just know the very first night I got, um, when Gigi came home for the first time, I was like, oh, it's a lot louder in here. (laughs) Cause I would get meowing at two in the morning. And I was like, where's that coming from? Is, did I leave a window open and somebody's out in the parking lot, but now he was hungry (laughs) and wanted food at two in the morning. And I was like, oh, I have just lost my, my quiet house. Um, and now that's very much part of the routine. And so that's something that I will lose when he dies is I will lose the loud house and go back to a quiet house. Um, I certainly have had a lot of ambient noise to the household. Yeah. There's, there's the jingling and the claws on the floor. I, that's one of my favorite sounds in the whole world. The tippy tap, the claws, mostly dog claws, cat claws don't do it too much, but the tippy tapping is my favorite noise in the world. Um, one of the things that people say most often that when they come home after a loss, their house is so quiet. It's so empty. That presence, even as small as it was, is gone and they know it. Oh yeah. We, we know where they are in the house. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite podcasters, uh, Gretchen Rubin does the happiness project, but her, the podcast is called happier. A few years ago, she, put a question out to her listeners of whether or not she and her family should get a dog um, and debated it for, for quite a while. Cause they live in New York city and it's not, um, oh, yeah. it's not convenient to have a dog, but a lot of people do. And she was like, I know they're important for happiness and blah, blah, blah. And ultimately they decided to get one. And every now and then she'll come on the show and talk about writing uh, more of her books. And she's like, just having another presence in the room to, to hear him like snoring on my feet or laying, <laughs> you know, on the rug in the other corner is so comforting. And I never expected that. It's like a, a really lovely, it's again, going back to what we were talking about, that quiet companionship that we didn't know that we needed. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate that in Gigi too, even, even at night to like reach up on, uh, he gets a pillow above my head and then I have mm-hmm. the pillow that my head actually goes on. And so to reach up there and, and to know that he's there at night is, mm-hmm. is really sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right now my dog's sitting right here at my feet and I can hear him breathing and I just feel that warmth and, you know, he's a big dog. And so when he moves around, I just know it. Yeah. And it's, it's something that we're attuned to, but we don't necessarily have to pay a lot of attention to, like it doesn't cost energy to, to be present with a pet. Mm-hmm. in in the ways that it costs energy sometimes to be present with humans in the room. Um, and I know we've been drawing a lot of comparisons between humans and animals in the show. Um, but I think that one's, that one's a really significant one. And you're absolutely right is that the silence of the house is, is almost deafening. Um, so as we're kind of drawing closer to the end, I want to reach out specifically to people who have suffered a pet loss relatively recently and are coming home to the empty house. I wonder if you have any, any practical tips or advice about, you know, dealing with the loss of the companionship, the loss of the routine, the loss of the presence um, that may be able to help, or even maybe one or two things that you heard where you're like, I didn't think of that, but that actually really is helpful. Yeah, that's, that's very hard thing to go through. And like the, the best thing that you can do is just talk about it. Find someone in your life that knows what this is like to go through and who who's going to be able to support you and just listen to you and hold that space for you and just talk. There's not a lot you can do about that empty household 
or the broken routines. It's just something that we have to go through and grieve. But I'd like to, you know, tell people to to journal about it, to write to write down those stories. Because people so many times are telling me that they're worried about forgetting all the little things. Well, let's write down the little things. And like we don't have to physically write for those who don't like to do that. We can we can record it on our phones now. We can video ourselves just talking about it. Because in a few months or years down the line, you can go back and you can revisit those tiny little memories and then you're instantly right back in that space, the space with them again. And it's just a way to remember, to record and to honor them. And for someone who's just, just going through this kind of loss, you can also hold a ceremony for them. The same way that we honor our uh, dead humans, we can have our, you know, like a funeral ceremony where you bring everyone together who knew that who knew that animal who 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 was touched by their presence and you just talk about them just tell the tell your stories draw pictures like if you ha- if you have kids in the house you can have them draw and have them a part of that ceremony too I love both of those ideas because they're really they're really practical and they're really connective it's like yes talk about it find somebody who's who's lost a pet before or knows what you're going through and even if it's online even if it's uh kevin your support group is immensely helpful for that or people in person who are like oh yeah when i lost my pig two years ago it tore me to pieces and so to have that that recognition of yes this is real and it's hard um and then also to to ritualize it in some way and immediately i'm thinking um I don't, this is where social media has actually been a help instead of a hindrance. I forget sometimes that I have a story on my Instagram page or like a highlight um, that's just called the best cat. And it's little clips that I've taken of Gigi over the past, I don't know, two to three years. And so whenever I'm sad or whenever I'm traveling or sometime when I have to be away from the house, I'll watch that. And I'm like, oh my God, he does play fetch. Oh my God, he does sleep on my head. Oh my God, he does, you know hide under all the blankets. And then when I come home, I have to find him. <laughs> um, but, but it's one of these things where social media can really uh, remind us and help us um, trigger memories of pets that we've lost or remember the idiosyncrasies or yeah. um, that trend now on, on TikTok where people take videos of their dogs at different um, growth stages. And so it's like day one and then day six and then month 12 and whatever. And the dog gets gradually bigger with time. And it's really, um, they're really fun and funny to watch. Uh, yeah. And it's a time when, when social media can actually help us remember our loved ones instead of torturing us with replays of here's the life you're no longer living, which I think social media does quite a bit of in the aftermath of loss. Um, so maybe even using things like that to help too. Um, Kevin, I, I love knowing that you're out there in the world. Speaking of of presence out in the world and um, presence and, and companionship and knowing that someone is close by, I wonder where people can find you and your work and especially get plugged in if they've lost a pet. Sure. Yeah, my website is petcloud.pet.pet. And you can look me up on social media. I'm at kevinringstaff.com or at kevinringstaff across just about every single network out there. I'm pretty easy to find. 
Yes. And then your uh, support is on Sunday nights, correct? Uh, Sundays at 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. Well, wonderful. Okay. So two sessions, grief growers, if you'd like to join in there. Um, and if you'd like to connect with Kevin uh, immediately, as well as other people who've experienced pet loss, I know that the Facebook group for this podcast, the Grief Growers Garden has several people in it um, who have lost pets, including myself. I actually did a, a piece on this mm-hmm. um, a f- about a year or so ago when I lost my childhood cat. Uh, cookie. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here on coming back today to talk about a disenfranchised loss, one that kind of stays under the surface in our society. I think it's really so important to touch on the relationships that we have with our animals and how we can bond over their loss. Thank you so much for having me on. And I look forward to hearing more of your podcast. So that's all for this episode of coming back. Thank you so very much to Kevin Ringstaff for coming on to talk about the very important subject of pet loss. If you've suffered the loss of a beloved animal, please know that both mine and Kevin's hearts go out to you. Kevin came back by journaling to capture memories of his pets and by speaking to others about what it's like to live life after a pet dies. You can find all of Kevin's work, including his Sunday pet loss support calls at petcloud.pet. And of course, you can find this link in the show notes as well, Grief Growers. If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Shelby You'll instantly unlock access to weekly grief guidance prompts and monthly live calls with me. Our next live grief support call is happening Monday, June 22nd at 7 p.m. Central Time. An enormous thank you this week to Linda for pledging on Patreon and being the supporter that helped us reach the merchandise goal. You can now find Coming Back podcast t-shirts and so, so much more at shelbyforsythia.com slash shop. And thank you so much again to everyone who supports and keep this show going. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and tell a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.